you know, what, what is the purpose of the person that you're giving care to? Because without them having a purpose, without inviting them into options, opportunities, learning, if you are literally homebound and you cannot leave either for physical or health-based reasons or for a pandemic, what are the tools that are going to allow you to connect to that purpose? Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the show. My name's Ash, I'm your host. Today, we're looking at something that everybody goes through, but is especially important to those in later life. We're talking about periods of transition. Whether that's kids leaving home, the loss of a loved one, or changes in health that lead us to seek professional care, when people begin to engage with aged care services, they're usually going through some sort of transition. And understanding more about what these periods look like and how to navigate them is helpful not just for ourselves, but also for the people that we care for. Helping us unpack this intricate topic is Jeff Hamawi, founding partner and head of education at MIA, which is formerly known as the Modern Elder Academy. Jeff and the team at MIA help adults in their midlife and beyond prepare for the next stage by exploring ideas of transition, purpose, and much more. You can have a look at their work in Australia at meax.com.au. But for now, I hope you enjoy the chat with Jeff Hamawi. Hey, Jeff, thanks for joining us on the show today. Ash, it is a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great to have you here. And uh, I think if I'm right here, you're in Mexico at the moment, in the north of Mexico. I'm, I'm actually in New Mexico, which is neither... In New Mexico. Yeah, neither Mexico nor New. Um, so there it is. <laughs> But it was formerly both of those things, I guess. Yeah, it was at some point. Yeah, it was all part of those uh, part of those great American negotiations that they did with the Mexicans and took huge, huge tracts of land, as they say. Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, have to get you back for the history and geopolitical podcast another time. But uh, <laughs> today, I really want to talk about transitions in, in later life. And maybe you can give us a bit of your background and the work that you're doing. Yeah, I, I kind of come at this from a supremely unqualified place, which I think is both a blessing and a curse, mm. in as much as I'm I'm neither a therapist nor a gerontologist nor someone who's spent a lot of time sort of thinking about aging prior to coming to the field. I, I actually was um I ran a sustainability innovation company for twenty some years. Um and about five years ago, my wife and I just said, okay, this now is the time. We were living in Northern California in San Francisco at the time. I was traveling all the time and I had two young children. And in in the theme of this podcast, I think we're going to talk a lot about transitions. I kind of hit this moment where it was like, crap. My wife is looking after two children, working. I'm traveling all the time. We are both under a severe amount of pressure and stress and strain. And neither one of us wanted to live like that. It is an interesting and telling fact that I was 47 years old at the time. 
there is something called the U-curve of happiness. It's sort of an aggregation of all kinds of sort of social science and research that basically shows that people sort of start off pretty happy and then they get pretty unhappy and that kind of bottoms out at around 47. And then they progressively get happier. So as you age, you get happier. And this actually goes on into your 80s, unless you're a man, men kind of tend to tail off in their 80s and get a little unhappier. And women tend to keep on getting happier. So anyway, yeah, 47 at the sort of the bottom of my U-curve, I was like, yeah, sod this. We we got a, a truck and I bundled my family and my wife into the car. We gave the keys to the business, to my partners, and we drove down to Mexico. It was literally, it sounds like a song, right? We jumped into the car, we drove down to Mexico. And on the drive down to Mexico, I get this phone call from a friend of mine saying, well, what are you going to do? What are you doing next? And I was like, I'm not really sure. She's like, you should check out this guy, Chip Conley. There's this guy, Chip Conley, who in sort of the West Coast of America is sort of pretty well known for being involved in tech and starting a hotel chain called Joie de Vivre. He was part of Airbnb as well. And he'd written a book called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And so I got his phone number. I, I got a call from this guy and he was like, well, if you're driving down to Mexico, why don't you come to this thing that I'm inventing called the Modern Elder Academy, um, which we've now rebranded as Mia, because people, it turns out, don't often think of themselves as elder, even in their 70s. I was just in the supermarket talking to a lady about this and she was in she was 75 and she's like, I'm not elder. So yeah, <laughs> no, you're not. It's, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. But I think the intention in those early days of Mia was to kind of reclaim that word, right? And in, in the same way that so many words have been used as slurs and then reclaimed as something that you can actually take pride in and, and enjoy mm. being. So anyway, I turned up at this at this place in, in southern Baja, in a little town called Pescadero, which means kind of fisherman. And I had an interesting week. It was very early days of the programming and the idea of what this thing might be. And I was coming back to California to build regenerative communities. That was my whole shtick. I wanted to take all the stuff I'd learned in sustainability and innovation and actually apply it practically to people's lives. So the following week, I actually I got a call from one of the other partners. So Chip had at that time partnered up with this, this stunning lady called Christine Sperber, who is the sort of incredible creative ball of fire. And she was like, hey, we need you to come and teach with us and and help us think this thing through. And I was like, yeah, OK. So it was kind of totally random that I ended up in this space. Um, and I started teaching and I was like, holy crap, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I have very little experience in wellness, very little experience, as I said, in the kind of the gerontology and the aging world, but a fair amount of experience in kind of facilitating and talking to groups, right? How do you mm. talk to people and get them to share their ideas and their thinking? And it turned out that actually the majority of the people that were attending had a bag of wisdom and a bag of insight that, that they brought to every single session that I did. So this idea of me needing to be some kind of a sage or kind of you know guru evaporated very quickly. And, and one of the core founding principles of our organization was like, wisdom is shared, it's not taught, right? Mm. In, in your 40s, 50s, 60s, you don't want someone to 
tell you how to be wise um, or teach you how to be an elder. It, it's very much like, hey, what have we accrued? What are the shells we've all found on the beach together? And let's <laughs> let's share. So that's kind of how I arrived there. That's how, I, and I've now spent the last five years teaching this stuff um, and being participant to these groups and exploring with these groups. Um, we've had over 2,000 people kind of come through the program, both online and offline. And it has been fascinating. Mm. Hey, that's great. I can really relate to what you're saying about maybe not having the experience in gerontology or anything in that field, but being a facilitator for conversations and, and letting people talk. I feel like that's what my job is as well. So what I wanted to ask though, and we'll talk a bit more about Mia and about the specifics of what you guys are doing there. But you know, you mentioned that your story started with a transition and this is something you guys talk about quite a bit at Mia. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's important to look at the transitions in life? Why, why are these crucial moments to examine? You know, we stumbled on this, Ash. You know, as I said, in my own experience was of this sort of radically transitional state. I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. I want to make a distinction. Mm. Change is what happens to you, right? So someone dies. You get an illness or some sort of physical ailment that changes the way that you interact or interface with the world. A relationship ends, your job ends, um, you're no longer able to earn the same kind of money that you were previously. Whatever the change is, transition is how you handle change. Mm. And once you sort of really kind of make that distinction and that point, we're, we're often sort of straddling between changes in our lives. We're moving from one state to another and we're transitioning between one thing and another, most obviously between childhood and adulthood, but also perhaps between adulthood and getting older, right? Elderhood, perhaps, um, if we can use that word, but you get the idea. And the more we dug into this idea of transitions, the more research I did into it, the more I found that there's a real anatomy to a transition there's a sort of a predictable set of steps that come out from a transition we wrote a paper we created an online course on transitions and we literally just sort of went down this deep deep rabbit hole thinking about how transitions are structured how we might structure them better and then of course found out that all kinds of amazing people had written and studied transitions in ways far more comprehensive than we had as well So primarily, a guy called Bruce Feiler, who's now teaching with us as a result of our work in this area, who wrote a book called A Life in Transitions. And he basically did about 5,000 different interviews of people from all walks of life, predominantly in the US, but I believe that a lot of this is transferable across to Europe and Australasia at the very least, and possibly more broadly. And what they found was that in an average lifetime, people will go through about 26 transitions in their Mm. adulthood, right? And within that, they will also go through what he calls life quakes, about three life quakes. So transitions might be like, hey, I changed jobs or I changed places, I moved to a different city. A life quake might be one of the most more severe things like, you know, I lost a partner or I lost a limb or something like that. Mm. Um, And when you sort of do the calculus out of this sort of mathematic, it's like, wow, we are constantly in transition. We are constantly being sort of hit by one of these 26 or three or whatever it is 
different transitional events that will come through a normal, in inverted commas, life. And I think many of us aren't even aware of that and aren't even aware of how those transitions all layer together. If your physicality changes, your ability to interact with your friends, your partners, your whatever, your work might change, right? Your place might need to change, all kinds of different things. So not only do transitions kind of interact on each other, they also interact on the people around us. So perhaps, let's say I've stopped working and my children have been dependent on me. That is a transitional thing in terms of, gosh, I can no longer afford to pay or whatever, right? So our individual transitions also impact our friends, our families, our peers and colleagues and so on and so forth. So that's why we think about transitions <laughs> so much. Um, and, and honestly, it's so interesting. You'll ask people, people arrive at, at Baha or on our online course, and you say, what are the transitions you're going through? And so often, and particularly men, I have to be honest with you, particularly men will be like, oh, I'm not going through any transitions. I'm good. Everything's good. And then you start to talk about these sort of different types of transitions that people might be through. And they're like, yeah, I'm going through that one. And I'm, I'm going through that one. And I'm going, and then suddenly it's like, no wonder I'm stressed, right? Or no wonder I'm sort of feeling a little bit at sea um, in my midlife. I'm going through four different transitions simultaneously. So it can mm. also be pretty revealing. So transitions definitely is a big part of what we do. We do a bunch of other stuff. But it's a fascinating theme, and it was the, the theme of our first sort of deep dive course online. We're now doing another deep dive course online on purpose, and that's kind of related, right? So if change is what happens and transition, if you sort of think of it as a rope bridge between one thing and another, kind of one thing and another is usually purpose, right? Hmm. Um, what, are, what are your purposes that you're transitioning to and from? So that's kind of the next big exploration and and having done this transitional course we were like wow this is cool we're gonna we're gonna super double down on this and we've got like 30 different speakers to think about purpose and you know how it impacts your career your workplace the people around you and how it impacts your life in terms of how having purpose is one of the three pillars for a healthy midlife and beyond. This was um, research done by um, Stanford DCI, the, the Distinguished Careers Institute, by a guy called Dr. Phil Pizzo. And his basic sort of thesis was purpose, wellness, and community are the three pillars for a healthy midlife and beyond. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey-Barlin. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back and they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares? Where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of Age Care's challenges and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Mari, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, Daniela. <laughs> I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Mari. You, and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. Yeah, purpose, wellness and community. These are, these are great ideas and I can see so much of this stuff, you know, as people are moving through their 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond, 
they're going through a lot of transitions that might be uncharted or they might not have had conversations about what happens mm-hmm. in those periods. Mm. I'm wondering, are, are there specific stages here that people would go through as they're going through a transition to, you know, are there things people can keep in mind that there is an early stage, a middle stage and a late stage or something like that? Sure. And read Filer's book, A Life in Transitions. But that said, from our work and from my own nomenclature, a transition starts with the end, right? Something's changed. Something has ended. And that can mm. either be extrinsic, your boss fired you, or it can be intrinsic, right? You're a management consultant and you're like, oh, turns out I wasn't so good at that. Or you didn't like it, right? It's an interior mm sort of shift it's like that sense from that internal sense of like I can't do this anymore and that, that's that kind of intrinsic internal shift so an external kick or an internal shift will often be what sort of precipitated the change so the first mm. step of a transition is is an ending how do you end something right how do you mark the ending of something how do you process yourself where you are what you care about as something's ending what are your rituals do you have any rituals to kind of help ease you to the next part? When someone's life ends, we have a funeral for them. Are there corollaries in your other transitions? Are there other rituals that you might even just invent for yourself, right? I have a friend who literally had a funeral for her company when she finished, you know, when she finished doing it. She's like, we're done here. The next sort of middle phase of a transition is the messy middle. So this is the sort of, Again, if you're not just going to go back and do what you've done before, how kind of understanding that things are going to be messy and that you're not going to have clarity can be really helpful, right? People, mm. we're, we're so wedded to the idea, especially as we get older, of like, well, this is what I do and this is what I'm going to do and this is how it's going to be. Releasing yourself into like, crap, I have no idea. I have no idea right, can be extraordinarily challenging for people. And that messy middle is kind of guided by a sort of a growth mindset, the sort of generative mindset. There is stuff for me to learn. I'm not fixed. I'm not, even if I'm 50, 60, 70, 80, I'm still able to grow, learn, change, adapt, explore, find new things, right? Have, have new types of fun, new types of friendship. And in doing that, sort of find new new paths, new purposes, new avenues, new communities to move forwards with. And then the third phase is the new beginning, right? And, and again, it's relatively self-explanatory. It's, it's this sort of three-phase model that, that, you know, is the same from caterpillars to butterflies to, you know, the hero's journey or whatever it happens to be. But it is useful in terms of anatomizing that journey. A small caveat on caterpillars, you know, caterpillar to cocoon to butterfly is a biological process. It is inevitable, right? As we age, caterpillar to cocoon to butterfly is not inevitable. We have to choose. Mm. As human beings, we can stay caterpillars for the whole entirety of our lives. And I think that's what's so fascinating about these transitions. It's like, you kind of have to go soupy. You kind of have to go into the cocoon and become all messy and soupy and digest yourself and then sort of emerge as something different if you're going to grow. And that's mm. kind of, I think that's a beautiful promise of aging, right? Which is like, wow, if I actually am conscious of this stuff, if I can actually engage with this stuff, I can grow, I can change. 
and I don't have to become fixed and isolated. Yeah. Yeah. Isolation's a big theme here in the States, really huge. They, they sort of talk about it as an epidemic and COVID's make it, made it all the worse for people who are mm -hmm. aging. I'm sure it's the same in ours. Yeah, it definitely is. And um, Silver Adventures, who sponsors this podcast, have a mission on addressing isolation, particularly in the older population through virtual reality. So it's definitely something we, we talk about a lot here as well, because it's it's a problem we can't escape. And and lockdowns have really made that even more prevalent and, and obvious. Do you have any ideas for people who are you know professional caregivers or family caregivers who, who might be assisting people who are going through would you say an external kick? They're being kicked into a new phase of life that they may not be happy with. Any sorts of ideas that might help them in, in this support? You're absolutely right in terms of in the middle of our lives, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, we often find ourselves carrying up and down, right? You're caring for perhaps dependents, children's, children's, <laughs> children, <laughs> um, colleagues, whatever, if that's how your life has ended up being structured. And then many of us, particularly women, are ending up caring for elderly parents and so on. And so the, the first and sort of most obvious thing to say is when you find yourself in that position, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of strain. Um, you are, it, we're called the sandwich generation because you're kind of sandwiched between those two kind of types mm. of, of care, finding space for self-care and, and so on and so forth. And finding time for self-care is often really difficult, both in terms of financially, the resources, but even just the time, even just finding sort of a day or two or a week to get away and try and recenter. And all of this sort of nice chat about what's your purpose and how might you live a more generative life in the face of that storm, it's almost laughable, right? It's like the purpose mm. of my life is to run around after everybody in my life, my kids, my parents, everybody. <laughs> so, um, editing, how do you edit so that you aren't so over-purposed? I think in, a, in wellness, people are often sort of worried about purpose, like, oh, what's your purpose? And you need to find your purpose. I think for many people, especially carers, they're, they're totally over-purposed. There's no space for anything else in their lives. Mm. So being aware of that and how that impacts you you know, what? what is the purpose of the person that you're giving care to? Because without them having a purpose, without inviting them into options, opportunities, learning, you mentioned that you have VR tools for people who are aging. If you are literally homebound and you cannot leave either for physical or health-based reasons or for a pandemic, what are the tools that are going to allow you to connect to that purpose? Yeah, that's great. Just to talk a little bit more about Mia and some sort of specific ideas and programs. Now, you've mentioned that we're not technically using the word elder anymore. We're trying to focus on on people just going through aging and, and finding new purposes there. What are you hoping to to create out of this? So if you flash forward, you know, five years and people have been coming through your courses and this is building a, a wider community, what's the outcome you're looking for? That's a great question. And honestly, because we're still in that kind of soup ourselves, organizationally, mm. we're in that messy middle, right? Let's go back to those three pillars, purpose, wellness, and community. How do you create content to help people connect to 
something generative in their lives. Purpose is this very grandiose term, right? The noun purpose is very much like, I am going to be a doctor and heal people and my entire life is involved in healing people. But for most people, purpose, just like everything else, is non-linear, right? Your purposes shift with your family, with your jobs, with where you are in the world, what you stumble upon in the world. So creating this content around purpose, creating resources for our, you know, our community around wellness, and then creating physical communities. I mentioned to you, I think before we started recording, that I'd actually wanted to come to Baja to build, or not to Baja, I'd come to Baja to think about building regenerative communities. As we ran the academy time after time, people started to sort of say, hey, we want to live like this. Will you build Will you build something for us? Will you build a community? And so we, we got into it. I, myself and my partnership invested in the first project in Baja, which was a sort of small community of 26 houses around a regenerative farm with all kinds of, all kinds of goodness and all kinds of interesting ideas there. And again, all kinds of fascinating corollaries between regenerating soil, regenerating the land and regenerating yourself and your soul, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the baseline. Everything we do should be sort of aligned around those sort of three pillars at the base of that pyramid. And then how do we create a community that's inclusive where people can feel part of it, whether they're in their 70s, whatever their race, whatever their gender, whatever the hell they're doing, and, and really kind of create programs and products and resources for, for a more generative midlife and beyond. So that's kind of mm. what we're up to in five years' time. I hope you, will, you and I will talk again. Your podcast will be world famous. <laughs> and we'll have built a bunch of interesting communities in, in North America and beyond, interesting affiliate groupings all around the world to do this type of work both physical community, but also virtual community. You know, we have chapters all around the world now. Uh, we've had people from 26 countries turn up at the academy. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of an exciting, it's an exciting play. I do want to put in a, a shout out to some partners. We, we have Mio um, in Australia that is doing some pilot work and they have some, some programs that they're trying out and then obviously we have online programs. And if you're, you're disposed to coming to Baja, come, come and dig around, see what we're up to. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I might just ask one final question before we, we wrap up for today, Jeff. Go. If we're, if we're talking about wellness and purpose and, and community and, and you've spoken about starting fresh ones up, do you think there's a way to, to translate these ideas to the broader community so that we can transform other communities that exist already? with those ideas having spent 25 years trying to change the world from every single different angle mm. it's actually really interesting to me to start off with 26 houses for a certain population and a certain community there's this idea that millennials are more purpose oriented than people in their 50s 60s and 70s but actually the research has shown and this comes out of mit that people in their 50s, 60s and 70s are more concerned with impact and legacy than any other um, group in the workforce. Hmm. So to my mind, if we can keep pushing these ideas and helping people come together, not just in communities that sort of help them feel good about themselves or whatever, you know, it's not like, hey, let's have a bunch of margaritas and, and a laugh. 
but in communities where they can find really sort of meaningful purposes that are greater than their own well-being, right? So whether that's environmental impacts or social impacts or whatever, I think that people in midlife and beyond are primed to, to be doing really meaningful and interesting work in the world to regenerate not just their own lives, but the planet as well. So my, so my secret strategy, if I'm really honest, Ash, is mm. how do we use this as a way of building a really strong, vibrant community of people who are looking for purpose and helping them connect to those purposes, lead them, put resources into them. You know, in the US, there's $8 trillion locked into people over 50 in terms of net worth, wealth accrued. That's stunning. If that's where all the wealth is, let's let's get after those people to then sort of think about how they can use that to, to impact, improve, change the world. There's a longing as well in many people to think about legacy. What am I going to leave behind? So I think your general point, though, is 100% right. None of this stuff is unique to people in, old, in their older life. And I think you're going to see the term regeneration it's tiny, teeny bit depressing. We had Paul Hawkin come and teach, and he's just written a book called Regeneration. He started his career with books like Natural Capitalism, looking at sustainability. So sort of look at the arc, right? How can we sustain what is? And we're now like, oh, crap, how do we regenerate because we've screwed up what is? Yeah, there's some acceptance there that things have gone astray. Yeah, and I think the older people not only have a role, but they have the resources. There's something very interesting about the aging mind. So we all forget stuff as we get older. I can't remember names and numbers and addresses. And you know, sometimes I blank on family members' names. It's, it's a horror story. But as the brain ages, the bihemispheric processing gets better. Okay, so that connection between the left and the right. And what that actually leads to is a better sort of systemic and systems processing kind of mind this is why a lot of older architects are, are so successful, right? It, it's that kind of big picture, systems thinking type brain. Hmm. So I think as we're looking at some of these global challenges or even local challenges, they're complex, they're multifaceted. And that's actually really suited to the older brain. So you might not be able to remember everyone's names, but you know how they all fit together. Hey, Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. People can find out more all about the Australian MEA by going meax.com.au and uh, they can also visit modernelderacademy.com. That might change. Watch this space for Watch this further space. changes there. But uh, Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. Ash, what a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget that each Friday, we've got a fresh episode of our new show, Who Cares?, in which Daniela and Maury take another look at the ideas we've been discussing in today's episode and how they might affect all of us working in the aged care industry. It's fun, thought-provoking, and just a little bit silly. And the good news is it's all right here in the podcast feed, so you don't have to click anywhere else. But if you want to make sure you don't miss out, hit the subscribe button and you'll find out exactly when that episode is available. Anyway, we'll see you next week.